You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks and welcome to episode 39 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host Bart Bouchotts and this is the show for November 2016. Joining me I have a panel which is both large and brilliant so it can't get better than that. We have quality and quantity so let me see. In no particular order we have Victor back with us from a new, back with us again which are from a new podcast Victor. I'm now to call you Victor from Three Nerd Things. Hi Victor. That's right. Hey, how you doing, Bart? Good to be here. And yep, three nerd things. The number three nerd things. Check it out. Dot com. Yeah, we'll actually, at, later in the show, when I've introduced everyone, I want to get you to give us a quick uh, a quick little elevator pitch on the show because we we won't have heard about it yet, so we should do that. But before we do that... I'll do it. I also want to introduce Adam uh, from the MacCast, who's back with us for the first time in a while. Adam, it's great to have you back. Yeah, glad to be back. Sorry it's been so long. Yes, you know, time zones, the universe, these, these things happen. I'm just always <laughs> delighted when you show up. Thanks and then, for inviting me. Yeah, pleasure. And then from so from the other side of me, we also have Gaz from the MyMac podcast back. Hi, Gaz. Hello. How are you, Guy? Guy? You see, guy, now, oh the no. reason, now the reason I said that is because <laughs> I've, I've not long finished the podcast with Guy, actually. So we've just recorded this weekend. So apologies, Bart, but there you go. My, my brain is already addled. I was going to say my my Florida accent is really showing today. <laughs> and then finally, we are also joined again by Dr. Robert Carter. Hi, hi, Robert. Great to have you back. Hi, Bart. Thanks for having me back. I'm Robert from the Tech Doctor podcast, all about Apple accessibility, and I'm looking forward to talking some Apple. So let's do it. Yay. Well, before we dive into, I guess, totally new stories, there's actually some follow-ups from things we talked about last time that I thought were worthy of um, sort of our attention. Um, So the first of them is that Apple appear to have acknowledged the fact that their new MacBook Pros have led to a steep increase in dongle requirement. Uh, And in response to this, they have dropped the price on a bunch of their USB-C dongles. So... I've already been in dongle land for a year with my 12-inch MacBook, but I believe, Robert, you are the proud owner of a new toy and have just become freshly in need of some dongles. Yes, I <laughs> was sitting there ordering this new. I bought the the uh, 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro with the touch bar. When I was ordering it, I realized that I didn't have a single USB-C device Mm. in my possession that would plug into this machine. So it was kind of a shock in a way. But at the same time, with that said, I fully embrace and understand why Apple is going with these new ports because you can do so much more with them. So when I ordered it, I just uh, got a a USB-C to USB-A dongle. I got a USB-C to Lightning dongle, and I ordered a, a SanDisk USB-C card reader. So, you know, that's what I decided to do. And yes, I spent all my Merry Christmas and Happy Birthday money for the next year or two, but I'm all dongled up now. Excellent. Uh, and did, did you, so you, you probably had more than one USB device. So did you buy a bunch of individual dongles or sort of one dongle that goes to many USB-A ports? I just bought one at this point, but I heard you're 
your your pitch for uh, USB C to USB A, a little dongle that you were talking about on one of the holiday shows. So I'm gonna have to get a couple of those. Sounds like they work pretty well. Yeah, I was gonna say they're great. So that was uh, we may as well give Chuck some plugs here. So that's uh, Chuck Joiner's his Mac uh, Voices show. They he does a holiday pick thing, and one of my picks was. It it builds itself as the world's smallest USB-C converter. It's basically a shoe that goes over USB-A to make it into USB-C. And so they're $8 or something on Amazon. So you can just buy a handful of them and just shove them onto the ends of your various devices. And, of course, with the MacBook Pro, you have four ports, whereas with my little 12-inch MacBook, I only have the one. So in my case, I don't need many of those little dongles because I can only use one at a time. Um. So, anyone else have any thoughts on 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 these the new need for dongles and Apple's I'm response? Sub- you know, the thing for me that I think most people are going to end up with at a certain point is not necessarily a bunch of dongles, as much as a some sort of dock or display, right? That has all of your stuff plugged into it. I guess it depends on how mobile how mobile you are. But I know a lot of people that are using MacBook Pros is the way I use mine is mostly as a desktop replacement. And when I'm out and about, I hardly ever plug anything actually into it when I'm mobile. Really the only place I'm plugging things in is when I'm at my desk. And and there's been a lot of really great new um, USB-C like dock options. And especially if you're going to go with one of the new uh, Apple just, well, not Apple displays, the LG displays that mm-hmm. Apple is is worked with LG on. I think they all have USB ports in the back and HDMI's, and or maybe not HDMI's. I can't remember all the ports that's in there. But sure. you would plug everything into that, right? And then you just plug in the one USB-C cable that's going to give you your power uh, data and everything else, which I think is brilliant. You know, I'd love to have uh, – I'm looking at my MacBook Pro right now, and I've got you know power plus Thunderbolt plus USB plus – audio so i've got four things plugged into the side of it i would love to just have one one cable coming out of there yeah i'd love i'd love to see johnny ives face when he sees everybody's mac when it's got all these dongles hanging out the sides because i'm sure we must think that that really ruins the look of his mac but the thing is they're they're not there when you're on the go right which is what you you're mostly away with your mac Right, exactly. The, the other thing is, is why don't why doesn't a- Apple really should have a a dock at this point? I think I think they should design their own solution for this. That's a dead. That's a desktop solution, but it's really not what they do. Right? Mm. I'd love to see them do it, but I don't think they will. But hey, Bart, I can chime in on this yeah. too. I, I am now part of the dongle uh, lollipop bunch, <laughs> if you will. Uh, dongle brigade. Um, Yes, that's right. Uh, on uh, Monday, Cyber Monday, I got a fantastic deal uh, on a 12-inch MacBook, which I had heard you talk so much about, and I was looking for something small to carry to Cuba, and uh, I couldn't pass it up. And so, therefore, if I get the MacBook, I have to buy some dongles, and, and I did. I, like Robert, I bought uh, the USB-C to USB-A, and uh, I also bought in OWC dock, Adam, uh, because I, I love my regular OWC Thunderbolt dock. So I went ahead and picked one of those up because it was also on special during the Cyber Week event. And it's wonderful. L- literally, it's got, you know, Ethernet uh, four, no, actually five USB-A ports. It's got a, sep- a one more USB-C port, VGA. And it's not so small that if I had to carry it on an extended trip, I couldn't. 
I mean, I could, I could absolutely do that. Not a problem. But if we're sitting here, uh, you know, on the desk, it, it's really wonderful. I'm actually recording on that uh, computer right now. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I take back some of what I've said about the dongles and it's all good. Yay. Um, actually, the dongle I use most is, you know, leaving aside the tiny little shoes because they're just great to have. But the one I probably make the most use of is Apple's actual one, which is so you plug it into your one USB-C port you have and it gives you uh, HDMI, gives you a USB-A and it gives you a USB-C again. So you can then plug in power or something else. So you can daisy chain them together. And I use that one all the time in meetings because I need to project up on the big screen and just, you know, plug it in. I get power that way and I get to project and I can shove in a thumb drive if someone wants to show me something on a PowerPoint or whatever. And it, it's not big and it's it does the job for me. I think it is the one that gets the most of my use. Yeah. And the really biggest one... I, I I skipped it was like Robert the Sandisk SD because I I needed a way to put my camera stuff into my computer and so that was I looked around and every other option I saw seemed subpar to the one that Apple's offers you know on their app and so I went ahead and bought that one and I'm very happy with it. Cool. Yeah, they yeah. had it for twenty nine dollars last week. Maybe it's always maybe it's dropped down to that now all the time, but I got it for twenty nine. So I mean that's not. Just you know, throw away change, but it's not terrible. And this is temporary. I mean, I think Apple's betting that there are going to be a whole bunch of USB-C peripherals, and I think there will be. But we're just we're just having to kind of bite the bullet right now because it's it's a transition. Yeah, so that transition. So, so when they went from uh, a three and a half inch floppy to a CD drive, did they have adapters for a three and a half inch floppy drive? Yes, it's called an external uh, floppy drive. It was USB yeah. powered, ironically. Yep. And did they produce them? Yes, they did. Yeah. Apple made them, yeah. And they were made in the same... So, so they came out about so the same the, time as the Bondi so, Blue iMac, guys. So okay, they were in yeah. the same Bondi Blue okay, plastic. Okay, so, yeah. I did, the, it was less about the detail, more about the point that, actually, it's happened before, folks. So, yeah. True. Yeah. Just, yeah. And actually... Just, just move on. We've also... It happened before with USB, because USB yeah, replaced absolutely. earlier serial connectors of various ilk. And yeah. mm-hmm. USB was a massive step forward, but that massive step forward and is it now happened 20 with, years old. And, it, and, it and if anybody FireWire four hundred eight hundred, yeah, it happened with yep. FireWire eight hundred Thunderbolt. And if anybody running a Windows machine says they don't have dongles, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right, I call, yeah, I call, right. Uh, bull poop on that one. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, so when I bought my twelve-inch MacBook, one of the reasons I was allowed—it's a work machine, so I didn't buy it. Work bought it for me, and the only reason I was allowed to get it was because it was exactly the same price to within like you know twenty dollars or so of the Dell equivalent, and the Dell equivalent also has USB-C, and therefore yeah. my Dell counterparts in the office also have dongles for exactly the same reason. <laughs> hands I do up have for to admit, though. Who... Sorry, Sorry. hands up for everybody here here who has a. Uh... A 50-pin SCSI to, you know, 30-pin adapter. I'm sure I do. I am absolutely sure I do because I don't throw anything out. I have a bag of dongles. I don't have them anymore, but I used to. But I was just going to say that, you know, of course, I, I fully expected it to work. But I must admit, yesterday when I got it and took it out of the box and plugged in that USB-C to USB-A adapter into my little portable hard drive, for, upon which I was totally dependent to copy my data back over to the new machine. I was holding my breath for a moment. This thing is really going to recognize this drive, right? And so it's just interesting to try something new, honestly. 
and before I get emails, it's it's twenty five pin. I forgot thirty pin was the, was the <laughs> iPod connector. You know, the one thing that took me by surprise, and this is just you know my fault for not having researched because I I bought this machine pretty much on impulse, was that the twelve inch MacBook does not support Thunderbolt, and uh, so that was a little bit of a disappointment because a lot of my audio gear is Thunderbolt, but not no at big all. Deal. Yeah, at all. When I no, when I plug it in, it does. It just says not compatible. Goodbye. Yes. Oh. So Adam, you, you the, the the USB C physical shape can carry a Thunderbolt signal, but not right. all USB Cs do. So if you look at a USB C right. port on a machine that where it does Thunderbolt, to be a Thunderbolt Lightning next to the USB C port to tell you it does Thunderbolt too. So the the only gotcha. criticism I have with the twelve inch MacBook is that its USB C is pure USB C, which means you have to use HDMI or VGA. You cannot use DisplayPort or Thunderbolt displays with it. Bart, is that a chipset deal? So it's not like something yeah. they could fix in firmware, right? It is. The motherboard doesn't have the brains. Right. Yeah, okay. It's, it's got it. Got it. Set so, yeah, if anybody needs a, uh, you know, um, USB-C to Thunderbolt adapter, uh, I've got one. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably your more expensive adapter because it has to have brains. It's not just it was about rewiring the plugs. Yeah, it was $50. Now, I'll keep it around because eventually we're all going to be USB-C. I think that's the consensus here is that it's all good. Yeah. The fact that Dell are putting it into their machines tells me it's going to it's gonna go somewhere. Can, can that – now I'm curious. Can that problem be solved with on the dock side of things? Like can you yeah. have a USB-C dock that then has a Thunderbolt connector in it where the Thunderbolt chipsets are in the dock? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you can have an external graphics card in there that would then offer you out um, DisplayPort as well. But the it would but have to have brains. Uh, right. right. The o, the OWC current dock does not have it, and of course, their newer one that they're bound to put out soon won't need to have it because the new MacBook right. Pros have the upgraded the USB C specs. Right. But that's, it's all good. It's all good. Well, I mean, that's a little bit frustrating because I know for you, Victor, you have Thunderbolt stuff. I do, but I remember I have my MacBook Pro too, so it's not like right. I'm hurting. This is purely the the coffee shop casual machine. So if it doesn't meet this, I mean, look, I'm using it right now with an old Shure X2U, and uh, I think I sound okay. You sound great. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and as I say, my my use of the 12 inch MacBook is as my work machine, and it is supremely cut out for that because as a sysadmin and software engineer, I don't really do the Thunderbolt thing. It just needs to have enough mm -hmm. pixels. To, to see enough code and enough documentation at the same time, and it needs to be fast enough not to make me cranky, and it meets those needs perfectly. I'm still you cranky know, it, about other things, but not because of the machine. We spent a long time on the follow-up story. No we kidding. did, and I'm actually going to spend a tiny bit more because I'm going to leech off the fact that we have the tech doctor with us because I, I cannot have you on here, Robert, and not ask you the obvious question. In your real-world actual experience, how is the accessibility on that touch bar? Well, bear in mind, my experience is slightly less than 24 hours with the machine. But that said, the touch bar is just as accessible as an iOS device is with VoiceOver. In fact, if you know how to use VoiceOver on an iPhone or an iPad, you automatically know how to use it on the touch bar. So you just have a little strip instead of a whole screen, but it's completely accessible. Uh, you slide your finger along the touch bar and VoiceOver announces each icon that it encounters. And when you want to activate that icon, you simply 
double tap on it and the icon is activated. So for example, you can double tap on the volume icon and then there's a slider there which you can then just hold your finger on and slide and raise or lower the volume. And I don't know honestly whether that's going to be any more efficient or less efficient in the end for voiceover users than than the function keys were, but if you're a, an iOS user coming to the Mac, you're going to be totally comfortable with this interface. And honestly, it's kind of cool. It, I, I'm not sorry that I have it. I'll put it that way. Perfect. And of course, the single most important thing is, you're, even if it turns out to be no advantage, at the very least, it hasn't made life worse for people with accessibility issues. It has not. Apple has done their usual excellent job of making it fully accessible. It, it, I've not had a, a malfunction with it. Again, only 24 hours, but I've, I've used it a fair amount. I didn't sleep too much last night. <laughs> um, I've, I've used it a fair amount, and, and it, it's been fine for me so far. Okay, so I just couldn't pass by that opportunity. So let's uh, let's quickly go through these other follow-ups. Um, so this is a no shock to anyone whatsoever. The Irish government have formally appealed the Apple tax ruling from the EU Commission. We knew that was coming. And Apple have followed through on their promise to start cleaning up the App Store and have started to remove apps that are out of date, obsolete, and not being updated. So it's happening. It's going to take them a while, I would imagine, to do it all. But anyway, it's it started. Okay, so notable numbers. Just one, well, I'm not sure how long we'll talk about this, but it's it's worth mentioning anyway. So BMO Capital Markets do this thing where they measure the smartphone industry profit and they measure it by counting losses as negative profits. So you sum up all the profit and loss and then you divide by 100 to get a percentage. And Apple have this amazing habit of appearing to defy the laws of physics by getting 104% of the profits. Uh, which is exactly what they have done in Q3 of 2016. So basically, there are so many people losing so much money that when Apple make a profit, they actually make more than all of the profit, which is slightly head-wrecking, but it, it does make mathematical sense, even if it sounds uh, dumb. And boy, how much have Samsung lost in the next quarter? Right. when the so fiery... is, that, is that number going to go up massively in the next quarter? Just gonna... it, it was in this quarter, too, a little bit, I think. Was there a little bit in this one, was there? It used yeah. to be that Samsung and Apple made money and everyone else lost money. And Apple always right. made, like, Apple would make, like, almost all the profit. Samsung would get a little bit of profit and then everyone else would lose money. And I'm the, not sure if Samsung broke even, but they certainly didn't make good profits. The the one thing to note is um, about this that I had read was that while um, Samsung is losing market share because of the whole battery thing. Hmm. Um, and some of it is going to Apple. A far more larger portion is actually going to the um, the low-cost Chinese Android oh. clone makers. I would have so. thought the Pixel would have hoovered up quite a chunk of those. It got some of those as well. But uh, the overwhelming majority seems to be going to... Uh, the lower cost devices, and I, I think that in some ways makes sense. You know, if if someone's in the Android camp and they're with Samsung, they are on a more premium phone. But you know, you get a bad experience, and you may go, ah, you know, I think I'm going to be a little less shy about how much money I'm spending on this and go with, you know, try like a one of these other devices, which get pretty good reviews if you if you look at them. Some of those lower end ones, like the the one plus one and some of the other ones that are out there the the hanwai hmm. phones and things like that people seem to like on android and you save some money 
And if you've just been burned on a high-end phone, you may, may be less apt to try another high-end phone. Interesting choice of know. phrasing there, Adam. What? Oh, burned. <laughs> it was totally unintentional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the best kind of puns. Um, well, although it does seem counterintuitive if you really think about it logically, right? Yeah, I, I would really have thought... Go something cheaper in Chinese when, when you tell with faulty batteries. Probably yeah, I, I have to say, if, if it were me, then again, I don't think I would ever have bought a Samsung phone. So maybe it, it were if it were me. Exactly, that, that's the point. Uh, yeah, I, I just see, I don't see any of those cheap phones as being viable replacements for a Galaxy Note. But what do I know? Nope. I don't know. Well, that that the numbers seem to bear out that from what I've been reading. Cool. Good to know. A- any other thoughts on this before I move us on? Yeah, I think that. Um when the profits are actually taken into account, if Samsung allocate that profit loss over the next quarter and the profits that those Chinese companies are making, which will be likely much lower, mm. right. um, I still think that number is going to massively increase. And before we move on, actually, uh, Bart, mm-hmm. apart, apart from the Apple tax ruling on the EU commission, mm-hmm. I didn't see much in legal news. Wow! I didn't see anything in legal news because wow. you notice the topic is the, the heading is missing from the show notes. Either I have <laughs> gone blind to those stories, or nothing noteworthy happened in courts involving Apple. Either Does way, I'm happy. Move along. Yes, yes, good, good. So now this is this we're, we're about to tread into dangerous water here. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the, so we're going on to our first of the main stories, and this is not a politics podcast, and I don't want it to be a politics podcast. But there are occasions when politics intersects with Apple news, and the European Union is the usual culprit when this happens. But this month, I think it would be foolish to pretend that the US presidential election had no impact on Apple. I think that would, in fact, be me just chickening away from dealing with potentially listener-annoying stories. And I'm not going to do that. And, you know. and that's, I think you said an important word there, though, um, Bart, and that was uh, potentially... Yeah, I mean, I have no idea how my how the listeners to this show voted. I have no idea what the listeners to this show feel about politics because it's generally not come up. Um, I, I'll restrain myself. Well, and it just... probably doesn't matter too much, right? It's right, not exactly. Super so relevant. My point of view is and, uh, uh, something I thought was a dumb opinion before is still a dumb opinion, even if voters like it. So I haven't changed my mind just because the, the, the man got elected. So the biggest overlap, I guess, is to do with the simple fact that Apple makes stuff not in America and then sell it in America. And that was raised as an issue during the campaign. And it is being talked about during the transition. And that obviously affects Apple hugely, particularly the iPhone line. Well, and again, can I jump in? Potentially, mm-hmm. it could affect them because at yes. this point, nothing has been set in stone as to what Mr. Trump might do um, to regulate what's going on. We know what he'd like to do, but nothing has happened yet. And I think there's going to be lots of conversations, lots of negotiations, not only between uh, him and not only Apple, but other large manufacturers that manufacture outside of the, the U.S., but also him and the U.S. and China, for example, because yeah. tra- trade wars go on and on and on and tit for tat happenings. I think it happened when um, Obama came in 
um, they did something and they started putting a load of uh, taxes on, on imported goods and so did China uh, on a tit for tat. So I think the same thing could start happening. Now, Mr. Trump's a businessman, so he should realize that um, these sorts of things can affect businesses. So we shall have to wait and see exactly how far down the line this could affect him. We know what he'd like. But I think there's there's a long way to go on these stories. To be honest with you, these these mm. could be taken over from the uh, um, legal from news. Sto- yeah, from the legal news. It's Boris' least least favourite topic, but it's still important. Yes, um, we already know that China have threatened to block iPhone saying iPhone sales if Trump imposes tariffs. So the Chinese felt it was important to get their ore in first, <laughs> so they did so. Uh, we also know that there was a phone conversation between Tim Cook and the president-elect, and the president-elect told Mr. Cook that he wants Apple to build a big plant in the USA. So I think Tim might say, well, actually, it, what, we make what, our what, Mac what, Pros here. And Yeah, I did, what I find unusual, and I read through those those articles that you'd got on, mm. and it, it just it doesn't strike me that the statement that Trump is making – lies in with the fact that he's supposed to be a businessman. I mean, I just mentioned he's a businessman, so he should know how things work. And if he wants Apple to make iPhones in the US, guess what? He's going to have to have a lot of low-paid workers. Well, he's also threatened to do something about a wall in Mexico and stop you know, people coming in who are probably most likely the low-paid workers. A lot of this doesn't add up. And when he realized... It, it, what happened in the UK, we had Brexit. We had lots of promises from the people on one side. That side has won. Guess what? A lot of those, well, we didn't quite mean it like this. We knew it wouldn't quite. But look, it's still going forward. We're still doing slightly different things to our promises. So I, I've got a feeling there'll be, they won't call it backtracking. They will never call it backtracking. But there will be diversions and workarounds and people going around corners to save face, but still show that they are doing things that they uh, kind of promised. I'm going to I'm going to take issue with the low paid uh, worker argument a little bit. Okay, because it keeps because it keeps he keeps coming up in the media um, over and over again. And um, my only issue with it is. Balancing that with specifically what Apple has commented on twice when this issue has come up, um, both under the, you know, in both of these times, I think, under the current administration. Um, And both times, one time it was Steve Jobs. And uh, again, I'll caveat this with the statements made by Steve Jobs were um, reported by people who were at an event where he was, Obama had come to Silicon Valley in 2012 and they had a dinner with a bunch of uh, tech executives and a number of things came up and reportedly Obama directly asked Steve, you know, what's it going to take for Apple to make stuff in the US? Mm -hmm. And his specific response was that the problem was in the US, we don't have the flexibility, diligence, or industrial skills of the kinds of workers that we need compared to foreign workers. And it had nothing to do with specifically salaries, at least in that comment. And by flexibility, he meant this is almost more things like uh, the idea when we had our industrial revolution here and we had the idea of a company town. Hmm. They have company towns over there. So we don't have the ability to go and get you know thousands of workers in a very quick period 
to suddenly start ramping up and making and phones and and the flexibility part also comes in in also winding down those workers as well, which would not go over very well in this country. So even if we could get you know ten thousand people to make iPhones, uh, turning around and then letting go eight thousand of those because we don't need them anymore, you know, for the next six months is not going to happen too well in this country. We just don't have the culture for that. And so Steve Jobs specifically mentioned that. And then later um, in 2015, Tim Cook did an interview with 60 Minutes where he said almost exactly the same thing, although his point was we don't have we don't train the vocational skills in this country for the kinds of workers that Apple would need to build um, phones. And what he was specifically talking about, just to clarify that, is people who have a high school education, but not a four year college degree. So these are people who are trained in things like dye making and making these things. And then the last point I want to point out on the worker side of things is if Apple does a plant in the U.S., it would be almost entirely uh, automated robots is what Mm. would be built here. And you can look at Apple's uh, factory as far as what I understand from the the factory that makes Mac Pros is it's mostly automated and it would create very, very few relative jobs. So, so that, well, I'm a bit confused then by that argument, Adam, because if mm-hmm. it's going to create very few jobs, right. you don't need the workers to Correct. do those jobs. So why do they not just bring it back? The, 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 I, un- well, okay, I understand well, where you're yeah, coming from. For the moment, for today, right, you can build, you can mostly automate what? big things like a Mac Pro, but you can't actually automate at the moment today the fiddly work of hand assembling an iPhone. But those Correct. jobs, so those jobs are human today because a robot can't do them more cheaply than a Chinese worker can. But that won't be true in five years from now. So even if those jobs were brought back, they wouldn't last very long. Yeah, and I, I would take issue with that too because I've read several reports that Apple could, and they already are automating a lot of stuff. Um, and then another reality is actually China is becoming a pretty volatile place. Uh, to make stuff. And um, some of the latest reports I have seen and read are saying that actually uh, labor costs in China, uh, China's not doing the number of subsidies to companies and things like that. Um, And those costs are actually going up and it's actually getting almost as expensive to make things in China overall costs when you look at real estate energy costs um, in labor overall for companies. And that, that is certainly something else that I was going to go down. The, the yeah. salary point that I was making earlier was actually the comparison not on worker in the U.S., but worker from the U.S. to China. That's right. the biggest difference salary, salary-wise. salary Yeah, but, but again, Apple has as, never said as, that that's the problem. No, 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 I know they haven't, Adam, and they wouldn't want to. They definitely wouldn't want to. No company would like to make that statement. Um, but equally, the point is, as you've just mentioned, we've got it in the U.K., the industrial revolution happens, you move on, you move forward, and all of a sudden, the people won't be doing those more manual jobs. And right. China's going through that exact same process, and the right. manufacturing will move to somewhere else, and it will move to somewhere else. If it comes yeah, back to the it, US, it, great for them. But For people who would like to know, it's Indonesia, Thailand, Mexico, and India are the sort of places, which is exactly why um, you see Foxconn. <laughs> working on building a massive new plant in India. Right, but the right. Apple's thing, iPhone right? manufacturer. To some extent, this whole conversation is predicated on what I would consider to be the false statement that manufacturing jobs are real jobs and other jobs are not real jobs. 
because that's the only way any of this conversation makes sense because Apple employ a metric ton of people just right. not building stuff. And I don't understand why those jobs are considered somehow not as good as a manufacturing job. By what twisted logic is it, be- is it better to be I, working in a factory where you could be killed than in a call center? Because, think- of the sort of pe- because of the sort of people that he was going for on a vote. Okay, but those are the sort well, of people Apple do employ in their – Apple don't only employ people with degrees. I agree. I agree. But that's – it's it's all about perception, Bart. This, this mm. is why I went back to the, the, the Brexit point. Lots of promises will be made. They will get around it. They'll move on. And nothing yet has actually happened. But sure. Apple are a company that want to do it as efficiently as they possibly can. They're an American company, and they would love to build what they can as close to the homeland as they possibly can and still make a profit. Before, I just want to jump in quickly and just point this. So there's a show there's a show linked in the show notes. No, a story linked in the show notes from the New York Times outlining the people Apple do employ in the US and focusing on the, on the not college-educated jobs that Apple are making in the US. And there's a lot of them. They're focusing particularly on Apple's Austin facility in Texas. The call it's, center, the support yeah. people. Yeah. And it's not just call center. It's also... Um, you know, a business place where they manage Apple's various bits and bobs. I mean, there's a lot of jobs there. So the, the article is well worth a read to give you an idea of what Apple are actually doing in the U.S. So it's it's not to say that Apple are like a shell company where their headquarters is in the U.S., but they only employ people in other countries. That is really, right. really not true. No. You know, yeah, it's... So- it's- Go ahead, Victor. Sorry. Well, I was just going to chime in because I because I haven't. And in, in in my opinion, this is just such a uh, complex issue that's uh, being trying to be oversimplified by right. the concept that's long lived of campaign promises, which all campaign people do. It's not just uh, President Elect Trump that that has done that. And and then the reality that hits once someone is in office. And the difference, I, I think, uh, guys, you spoke to this with Brexit about what really can be done versus what was promised to be done. And in this particular case, it's so complex because we're dealing with flexibility of not only labor, but taxes and what tax things are, and also an embedded um, community of manufacturing that's taken place in China, Taiwan, and that part of the world that has not only built up the factories to build Apple products, but these factories are used to build many other products and the economies of scale that come with that. Let's put aside the people cost and just put together the materials cost, the, the actual manufacturing and building of the factories. All of that makes it very complex. So even if you could have the workers work here, we don't have the sourcing and the factories that would be ready anytime soon to scale up to that level. And we're not close enough to the materials materials people that are, you know, the materials that are being sourced out there to be able to get them back here to the U.S. at a reasonable price, which would also then inflate the price along with the labor. So it's a very uh, complex issue uh, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, so it has to be kind of taken in little baby steps. And I, I think personally, one of the first ones that will be taken will be to give uh, Apple some tax breaks to see what they can have here in the U.S., not necessarily manufacturing, in order for them to have a little bigger bigger piece of the pie. In other words, paying less taxes on monies that are held in the U.S. because Apple currently uh, holds a vast amount of their fortune outside of the U.S. Yeah, I know so where it is. Le- it's here. 
It I, is. I, I want. I want to respond. Respond to one other thing again, just so that people have kind of the facts when it comes to some of the arguments that some of the articles that they may be reading are, are laying out around this issue. Because I was blown away by this. Because I started to look into this. Because I was reading a bunch of stuff, and there were a bunch of claims being made. And I'm the type of person who doesn't always believe what I read um, until I kind of look around a little bit. These days, and, that's a good thing. So the supply chain thing was something that uh, to me made sense, right? A lot of people talk about, well, you know, all of the all of the stuff that they need to make iPhones is made in in, you know, China and in um Taiwan or Asia. And I always kind of just yeah. thought that was the case, right? Well, it turns out uh there was a study done by the National University of Ireland and the University of China in joint, and they looked at Apple's products and the supply chain and all of the bits and bobs and pieces that are imported into China to make iPhones. Adam, do you, you, uh, this is a very selfish question, but do you remember which of the four national universities of Ireland it was? I work uh, no, for one of them, that's why the, I'm curious. The article just said National University of Ireland and University of China. Oh, um, and this was an article, okay. um, uh, it was from I, I don't have the source in front of me right now. No, um, fine. It's just there is no such thing as the National University. Of Washington Post. Four. Sorry, this, this was a story in the Washington Post. See, there are four. There are four national universities of Ireland, but there's not a national university of Ireland. Anyway, one of the one of the big four. Okay, here. it just said by National University of Ireland, so one of them. Uh, I'm assuming there's more than one University of China as well. (laughs) Regardless, the the point is the data is not just coming from, you know, some random source. That's what I want to point out here. They they did a study and they were looking at the entire supply chain and they were looking at all the pieces and they sort of divided also the pieces after they looked at it into the core technologies that go into making these devices versus things like, you know, screws and and stuff that you could probably get from almost any other place. Hmm. And of the core components, what they found was that only about 4% were actually coming from sources in China. Right. The rest... China are assembling, the stuff is being assembled there, but it's not necessarily being made there. Right. So the rest are Japan at 32 percent, 33, almost 33 percent. The U.S., 28 percent. So we're talking about glass processors, you know, major components, screens. Um, Taiwan was 19 percent. I think most a lot of the screens, I believe, come from um, Taiwan and Europe was 6 percent. So China was actually the smallest in terms of those. And a large portion are coming from the U.S. and Europe. So the supply chain argument sort of falls apart when you look at it. So that's why manufacturing could move to India or Brazil or one of these other places, Mexico, just as easily uh, as it could come back to the U.S. We shouldn't call it manufacturing. We should call it assembly because that's what's actually happening in China is assembly. Yeah. Because, you know, Corning Glass is a great example of a U.S. company that Apple are spectacularly helping with real people in actual factories making a product which then goes into our iPhones. Correct. And and processors are made in Texas, you know, so. So we don't know how it's going to go yet, obviously, and so we can't have that crystal ball or magic wand. But for me, honestly, my fear is and my feeling of sadness is that I'm afraid that People were hopeful that they were going to magically get all these new jobs and everything was going to turn around. And I fear that it's way more complicated than that. And people are going to be disappointed. It's way more complicated than that. You have to point to and remind people, look how long it took for manufacturing to leave the U.S. and, and go elsewhere. It did not happen overnight. It happened over decades. So 
you know, if we want to, if we want to be positive and wave a magic wand and say, okay, yeah, we, everybody's going to get on board and that's a whole nother argument, but let's just, you know, do the magic and say, everybody's on board with moving all this manufacturing back to the U S and we're going to focus on vocational training for people. And we're going to get all those factory workers who were put out of work, you know, back in these kinds of jobs in the U S even if, if we as collectively as a nation decide to do that, it's going to take decades. It's, it's not going to happen overnight because there's so many nuances to this issue. So, you know, but again, as Victor pointed out, when you're running a campaign, when you're making promises, you have to say the big things that are going to get people to jump up and react. I fear that by the time we get all this done, the presidency might be over. <laughs> well, it certainly will be. It's going to, I mean, it's going to take decades yes. and it's going to take several generations of, of exact, you know, of, of our leaders to have this same vision. And that's the bigger challenge. So, you know, we can say, and we talk about all these things and, and look at what it would take to make them happen, but them actually happening is, you know, it's probably going to be much smaller. You may get the, but the reality is you may get Apple to make something else besides, you know, uh, Mac pros in the U S maybe they do build a factory to make MacBooks or something else. It's the thing is my biggest fear is actually that the, the problem to be solved is not to make manufacturing jobs. The problem to be solved right. is to make jobs. And my right. fear is that by fetishizing manufacturing jobs, we may, it's actually possible for the policies to make actual employment worse. And so what you have yeah. is eight years of going backwards, potentially, because you're aiming for the wrong thing. You're not aiming to get work for people with just a high school education and no more. What You're, you're aiming for the wrong thing. And as such, you are, you are guaranteed to miss if you're aiming for the wrong thing. Yeah, the, the, the thing that I... That I think that this, our country does need to aim for, and the one part of this that I, I think has been something that's a good area of focus, is there is um, a loss of vocational skills in this country. And I look to a country like um, Germany, who has an awesome program for this, where mm. you know not everybody is destined to go into the services field, and not every is destined to go into the management field or higher education. And a lot of those people are sort of lost here, you know, and they have great hands-on skills and, and things like that. And there's only so many, you know, mechanics jobs and these other things to go around. So I would like to see more of those jobs being uh, created and valued in our country because that sort of has been lost. And I, I think that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. Um, you know, whether or not that happens, I don't know. You know, Bart, you mentioned the call center job. But the problem is, is there you have to have people skills. And I know a lot of people who don't have aspirations for higher education and don't have the people skills and who struggle in, in this country okay, because the, there aren't those the, kinds of jobs. The, the, Austin, the, the, the big point, though, is the Austin facility is not just a call center. It is actually a major office for Apple where they do all sorts of stuff there basically office work of all kinds so if you're right. not, uh, not, you're not a front is, desk is, person you can be a back of house person right yeah i mean maybe you can be get a warehouse job right? and, and i mean companies like amazon and all those people are employing a lot of those people and i know some of those people you know so it's important to remember this isn't just an apple problem too a right. lot of technology yeah. companies in america are going to be up against whatever challenges tim cook may or may not perceive at this particular time and and, and trump certainly isn't going to single out apple uh, to do something that he's not going to actually impose on a lot of other companies too it's, it's also from an irish point of view it's also a potentially large irish problem 
because we our economy depends quite heavily on the fact that we have been a place which has a well-educated workforce which is able to do high-skilled manufacturing. It's not for nothing that Intel have one of their major plants here. We, we, right. we don't have a history of industrial espionage. We do have a well-educated workforce, <laughs> and we're good at making things. And well, see, those, are the ty- those are the types of people we would need in the U.S. where we haven't had a focus on that in a long, long time. And that's my only point. And we could benefit in a lot of ways if we would bring that back. So not necessarily bringing manufacturing back, but bringing back the value of those kinds of let's make stuff values, which we kind of lost. Well, I, I think overall, though, regardless of how you uh, perceive uh, President-elect Trump or not, um, the proposition that he had during his campaign, the whole concept of the drain the swamp, uh, this is a proposition that does put the world at alert because, you know, obviously he's going to do things that are very much outside the norm of what we've been used to, regardless of administrations of the past. Uh, this is, is nothing new and it's, it's already started. So that's, I think, what we have to be. Um, the bigger picture is, wow, this different way of talk about think different, think different. Well, that's going to cause some ripple effects that are much more felt than just in the U.S. And again, that's without putting any prejudice on how you feel about Trump or not. Well, guys, I want to say thank you for having a constructive and reasoned and uh, friendly discussion about American politics. It is a rarity, and I appreciate it. So, Bart, I'll just add one more sentence, and that is that I don't know, no matter what side you're on in all this, I will guarantee you that America's anxiety has never been higher. (laughs) If there's any consolation, Europe feels pretty similar, especially the Irish who have Brexit to the left of us. Or to the right of us, I can't remember which. And Trump to the other side of us. We, we feel quite and, nice. and the, That's the point I was trying to make. Is it, It's that high because it's so many unknowns, you know, because of uh, the different perspective that Mr. Trump brings that no other politician has before, we think. Okay. Um, I was going to say I'm going to move us on to a good news story, but I, I would be spectacularly hard pushed to spin this into a good news story. Apple have abolished the role of project manager of automation technologies, which was held for a very long time by a fabulous chap called Sal Segoyan. Now, this is the team responsible for things like Apple Script and the terminal and all these things on OS X. All of these things that, to me, make OS X better than Windows. And the irony to me is spectacular that was, thanks to the recent vamping up of PowerShell, Microsoft are coming on board with automation technologies and Apple pull a stunt like this right at that time. It's like, what is going on? Uh, now, a customer sent an email know. to Craig Federici um, expressing their displeasure and he replied saying that Apple will continue to support their fantastic <laughs> automation technologies. But that's not the same as saying develop. That's different. So obviously I'm sad, but I don't know how everyone else feels. Uh, I feel hesitant, meaning that I don't know what this means at this point. I mean, the only the only way we're going to know is long term what Apple does with these technologies. And let's be honest. I mean, these technologies are under there for like geeks and nerds and stuff like that. But the the average person doesn't really deal with it or see it. Uh, they benefit from it because developers take advantage of it and roll it into their apps. And, you know, it is underlying a lot of this stuff. So, um, of course, I want Apple to continue to support and develop it. But 
you know, did they need Sal for that? He was certainly the champion, the public champion inside the company that that people knew about. Um, so I, I, to me, time will tell on this. I, I can't imagine that a lot of this stuff can go away because it's so integral to a lot of the stuff that happens on the operating system. The question is, is it going to start languishing um, in really bad ways? And only time's going to tell on that. You could make the argument it was languishing already, so maybe a maybe little bit. But the argument is that Apple want to not have it as a separate group and want to blend it more tightly in with other stuff. So having it separate was a bad idea. Maybe you could spin it that way. Yeah, excuse me for getting. What was the new uh, scripting language they come out with? Uh, you mean pro- the, their new programming language, Swift? Uh, Swift. Swift. I mean, I wonder whether they've got some thoughts around that moving forward. That was that was one of the arguments that I had heard was that um, they want to bring that stuff into into the Swift arena. The weird thing about it, though, is is I don't see any reason why Sal could not have continued to head up yeah. the transition of all that stuff into Swift. Yeah, I suspect too. Um, I mean, Sal uh, was a hell of a nice guy, but he was also, I think, very. Um, a very big personality, you know, with an Apple. And right. I, I know one of his sayings was this whole, the power of the computer should reside in the hands of the one using it, end quote. Well, that's not the Apple that we're in today, you know? And I think so maybe there was just a, a maybe a, um, a difference in the philosophy, let's say, that uh, made, made their parting of ways uh, happen. And uh, I, I find it sad because I believe his statement still to be true today, and it's one of the reasons I use computers, never mind whatever brand. So so I, I, I'm sure he will do very well at uh, going forward, but I am a little leery and a little um, concerned about uh, what that means to us mortals, not to developers, because I think uh, the developers are going to do fine with the development kit, but us mere mortals that use these tools to do these things that we can't do because we're not outright developers yeah this is that middle gap for nerds like me has been the joy of the stuff that sal did we have to um we have to be honest with ourselves too and say that you know 66 percent of apple's operating system usage doesn't have automation built into it that's right, right. that's right yeah <laughs> yep that's it it's a reality uh, i'm sure he walked out a very uh lucrative with a very lucrative package let's put it that way well, I should hope so after all this time in Apple. Um, yeah, no, it's, to, to me, it's, it's not about not having the skills to be a developer because I am a programmer. I could be a developer, but I don't want to have to write an app to do something simple. One of the things that makes OS X so great is that you don't have to spend hours writing an app. You go into Automator, you drag and drop a few things, and you're done. I mean, right. I could write an app, but I really don't want to. So well, coming at it just briefly from the accessibility side, a friend of mine wrote some really great uh, keyboard maestro macros that use some Apple script that give you keyboard shortcuts that has the uh, system voice announce things like your battery status or tell you what state your caffeine uh, app is in, whether it's uh, keeping your machine awake or, or letting it go to sleep, things like that, which uh, we, we would not have access to without these macros and some of this automation and and i don't know what's going to happen with that kind of stuff going down the road so it's kind of interesting it it, it affects people in all kinds of different ways i think yeah i agree i I don't think it's going to get pulled suddenly out of the core of the operating system so i don't think short term we don't have to worry too much the the question again is long term what does what does this mean and only we're only going to be able to know when we get new versions of the os and we see what's in there yeah 
it, it may it may just be as simple as like when Scott Forstall left that it's not that he was a right. bad guy and it's not that he was bad at his job. He just didn't fit in with Apple anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I'm kind of more in that camp where this feels to me like it's just more Apple's moving on to a different time and Sal's from a different era and they just parted ways. I, I tell you, just personally, I would have loved if, if Apple would have given him that prop, you know, and that they would have made the announcement with a very big hearty thanks for <laughs> so much innovation. And I, I guess Apple that's way. just not the way they do business. But uh, wow, you know, that's that's just my personal feelings. That has they a do. touch of class to it, honestly. That, would have been they nice do everything quietly, though. I mean, Tim right, Cook right. would get let go, and and you would find out about it, you know, a month after it happened on LinkedIn yeah, they, or something. They follow the radio <laughs> station model. You you fire the DJ, and then you find out tomorrow when you start listening to country music and your old rock station. Yeah, right. And you'd hear the radio silence. <laughs> there you go. Okay, um, the next story then in our main stories I have is more big changes within Apple. Uh, Bloomberg report that Apple have disbanded their router team. So it would appear that the airport is a thing of the past and more worryingly still the time capsule. And just to rub salt in the wound, like a week or two afterwards, JD Power announced their customer satisfaction report for wireless routers and three guesses which is the most satisfying router to own. The one that's <laughs> just been killed. So I, I've been a long-time Apple router user, and I love my airports to bits, and I have most of my family converted over to airports. So I am personally very sad to see Apple get out of this business because, do you know what? They were better at this than other people. But when they start yeah. putting the effort in, their product line stagnated, and, well, that's not going to work, right? And now it's changing a bit, right? I mean, the router-router business is is becoming something different, and Apple had not been keeping up with the times, and... So they were kind of at a point, I think, where one or one of two things would happen. They either needed to completely revamp the line and move forward or get out. And, you know, according to them, we're going to focus our business elsewhere. And we saw it with the displays as well. So, you know, they're certainly doing what they're saying they're doing. The You know, mm. the, the question is, is like, do we think that's a good idea or not? Obviously, Apple thinks it's a good idea. I'm saddened by this, too. You know, I loved Apple's routers as well. But, you know, they either needed to embrace new technology or get out. And so I'm kind of understanding their timing on this one. Right. It makes sense that if they're not going to move forward, now is a good time to say, "Okay, we're done. Yeah, they either had to decide to invest heavily or sod off. There was no other. They couldn't just keep chugging along. I, I think, Adam, something you said that really rings true to me is that by doing these kinds of things, they are sending a very clear message to all of us that they are deeply investing someplace that we don't know about yet. Augmented reality, uh, artificial intelligence through a you know Siri voice type device like an Echo. Uh, but certainly uh, the, these things are being closed down and there's uh, benefits in, in employee transfer and, and less money. But obviously there are things going on that we aren't privy to yet that are clearly going to replace these kinds of businesses that uh, and, and they're yelling that pretty loud by shutting down these types of divisions. 
Yeah. Do you I think we're in a bit of a transition, kind of like we are with USB-C with, with routers right. right now? And I think these yes. mesh networks are really cool that are coming along. And knowing myself, I'm probably crazy enough to pay $500 for uh, a, a, an Eero setup or one, a, one similar kind and probably would enjoy it. But I don't think the average person is likely to want to spend 500 bucks on a router. Yeah, yeah but, but the but average that's person change, really. But the average person gets a router from their ISP and just lives with right. it. That, that's, that's right. I mean, that's the other thing that Apple's dealing with is you know a lot of people from their from their provider they get just dumped in a cable slash router, and that's just what they use. So it, you know, it's a division that's not generating a lot of revenue for Apple. And so when you look back and you go, do we really need to invest in this when people are getting this? solution solved for them in other ways good bad or or indifferent you know quality is a whole separate thing but they're making the choice well i got this for free so i'll just chug along with this and if i have to reboot it every two days then so be it that's what i'm going to do Um, i know someone who bought a timer plug for the purpose of making the router work properly that every night would kill the power for five minutes and then put it back on hey that's a cheap solution right yeah it doesn't impact anybody Right? It's a little yeah. bittersweet for me, but I suspect I have maybe reformatted my time capsule for the last time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, see, the, but, the, the time capsule worries me much more than, than the lack of router because, okay, I can buy a router from someone else. But the fact that my Macs do an automatic version backup across the air, that's an important feature to me. And I don't I think see how that continues. And if that if we lose Time Machine over the air... That's that's huge. That that's a massive. Are you talking loss. about losing Time Machine support in the in the operating system, or are you talking about losing Time Machine support just in terms of the hardware? Well, okay. So right now, if I want to back up over Time Machine over the air without shoving drives in, and I mean Apple are going bonkers about getting rid of cables, then right. right now the choice is either you do a terminal hack to allow yourself to back up to some another another router, or you do it no. to Apple's Time Capsule. No. Are no, there... I'm doing I'm doing time machine backups from two machines to a Synology, and I didn't have to do anything other than flip flip a switch in the Synology software and then connect my my Macs to them. Okay, so yeah, I'm Synology licensing have... that out then. Okay, because uh, I in order to get my Drobo does working, as well. In order to get mine working, I actually had to go in and do a terminal hack on all my Macs to say support unsupported drives. Yeah, no, okay, Dro- Drobo has a solution as well. Okay, good, because whatever about the routers, I really, really, really don't want to have to go back to plugging things in <laughs> to back up my machine. But, but to be fair, I mean, the Synology is a little bit fiddly. I mean, it, it was flipping a switch and, and kind of setting up a user account, so there was kind of two little things I think I had to do. But, you know, they had pretty good instructions on their website that I think most people could probably follow, but, you know, would probably scare off my mom. Um, right. And I, Drobo's solution, I think, is a little more straightforward. Um, but Again, that depends on Apple supporting that yes, it does. time machine over the net- or network technology. So if by killing the hardware, they also ultimately decide to pull whatever support is needed out of the software, then even those solutions are probably dead. Which would be very tragic. Um, again, the other point I just want to make on this is that I think the reason that this division existed in Apple at all was never to make money. It was because Apple wanted Wi-Fi to take off and Apple wanted right. Wi-Fi not to suck. And basically yeah. they went, fine, if no one else is making a good router, we'll make a good router. And the early right. airports drove forward the standard a lot. And that continued right up to N. But the thing is, when we got to AC, Apple were trailing instead of leading. Right. 
and I was going to say, um, this was David. Uh, why am I? Why am I blanking on Dave Sparks? No. Oh. <laughs> Dave Hamilton. Sorry. Oh, yes. Wow. Great. My brain just fried for a second there. Dave Hamilton uh, pointed out, I think, in a, in, in a conversation we were having, that the original airport came out with the original iBook, which was the first, uh, one of the first, like, wireless, truly wireless networked computers. And there literally was not anything. If Apple had not built the airport, you would have nothing to connect it to. Yeah. And I mean, it was such a big deal. They made a great big demo out of it, like almost a circus act, just to with prove a hula that there really hoop. were yeah, no Steve, wires. Steve Jobs put a hula hoop over it, I believe. They they they, they must have a, a larger, uh, longer term plan. My my thought process, or I was thinking about this, and we were chatting about uh, with I was chatting about it with Guy earlier. Mm-hmm. It, my whole thought process was around their image and what this might be telling people. Uh, and the brand recognition and whether that whether this could I'm not saying it will I'm not saying it, it has but whether this pulling out of these areas in the wider circle will make people start to think Apple yeah you know I buy into the Apple brand and I buy into the whole Apple ecosphere if they're moving out of it like with screens like with the airport um, like moving people out of certain technologies does that diminish them, do we think, moving forward? Is that a possibility that the Apple brand is not so up in the clouds as it, as it is at the moment? I, I don't know. It's just something which mm. suddenly crossed my mind. I, I, I don't think so. I think it's it's refocusing the brand to where the vast, vast, you know, 95% of Apple users have no idea what an airport is, have no idea what Aperture ever was, have no idea what a time capsule or a time machine is, have no right. idea what... Apple script is they're focusing themselves in on the vast majority of their users and as power users we're all getting sad because the Mac Pro seems dead the aperture is dead a lot of the 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 power users that used to be Apple's core now feel abandoned but of course Apple are not a charity Apple are not our friend Apple are a corporation and they are playing to their strengths and their strength is a really easy to use device by the vast majority of people and they're just killing off stuff that's distracting them from that yeah but right. to the same point though um but it their strength is also having that ecos there and having everybody be able to work in that that area of all you know whatever they've got and i'm, right. I'm just but wondering the, whether that also will you know start to dim, diminish but with the know. routers in know. particular like you don't need an apple router to get the full apple experience it doesn't really add right. to your full integrated experience it certainly uh, helped my experience when it comes to routing music around the house, but th- that's another story. Okay. And right. it helps or, your experience you... when it comes to setting it all up. You go to the store and you buy a Mac, and a, why not pick up a router while you're there and bring them home and load up airport, and, and you know you set them up in five minutes and you're done. I don't know if it's that easy with all the other ones. Some of them it's pretty well, easy, but – Yeah, my, my guess is just like Apple did with the LG monitors, they're going to have a blessed – router router that they that they have yeah. in the apple store you know and that so. seems to be the direction they're going with a lot of these accessories you walk into an apple store they don't have a lot of space apple i think has a team that's very dedicated to sort of picking the the what i call blessed apple products that they'll feature in an apple store that they have tested and sort of make sure kind of work to a reasonable degree of success you know in their opinion with those products so they're going to have some you will have a router that is sold in the apple store whose it is and what it is i don't know my guess is it's going to be one of these mesh ones 
probably if I were to venture to guess, I'm going to guess it's going to be somebody like Eero, but yeah, the Eero definitely look interesting. And it'll probably work well because they're so easy to set up as long as you have an iOS device to set them up with. Oh yeah, they're they're super easy. I mean, it's it's you you plug it in and you know launch the app and go around your house and plug another one in and they just all up to each other. I mean, it's literally minutes. I am waiting to see uh, the Google offering in the mesh world before I make a decision, but uh, there you go. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and the other thing I was going to say, uh, you know, on the on the on the time capsule thing, mm-hmm. and I just literally thought of this part, is again, about sixty six percent of the devices that Apple sells, the the wireless backup solution is called iCloud. Fair point. Yeah, and of course, the more I mean, of our data we, goes we, into without it, getting but... into arguments of whether no. that's good, bad, or indifferent, but I mean. That's the reality. Right, but in the, in the ideal world, I've always talked I want to live in a Star Trek universe where I can pick up any device and continue from where I left off, and the, the storage is magical. Well, that is iCloud, you're right. And I, I sort How of use that as the test. Apologies. The user, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I think um, that's where Apple's moving. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, so the final of our main stories is a collection of little stories which are all around the same theme. This month, Apple have launched three separate repair programs for some of their devices. Some controversial, some not. Uh, firstly, there is a free battery replacement program for iPhone 6s, 6s uh, to deal with unexpected shutdowns. And this affects devices manufactured in a certain range. And I am the proud owner of one such device. So now i got to organize... When it is, I can tolerate to be without my device for a week because living Has in Ireland, been... I have no Apple Store. Yeah, my serial number checks out, unfortunately. I'm real. No, mine mine does too. My question to you, has yours actually been Done exhibiting it? the problem? It does it about once every month or two, usually okay. at the point where it's the least possibly convenient time for it to do it. And actually, strangely, usually when the device is physically cold. So I'm out on the bike, I stop to change track, and the battery just goes, boomf. And I was like, great. Yeah. I am the so only... far from a plug socket, and I know there's 70% battery in you, you stupid thing. The, uh, the, the only reason I'm asking this is because I have a device also that qualifies, yet I don't believe, because I've handed it down to my wife now, I don't believe it has exhibited the issue. If, if it did, I didn't notice it. Um, but I do have my appointment scheduled for Monday, and I've heard mixed results with whether or not Apple just patently replaces it if you're in the serial number range or if you actually have to be exhibiting the issue. Interesting. Yeah, so I have, yeah. I mean, I had one last week for the first time in a while, but again, it's December now, it's cold, and I imagine I'm going to start getting more <laughs> of them now that it's cold because that's the pattern I've noticed. It's always when the phone is cold and I turn it on, I wake it up from sleep when it's been cold, and it just panics. It just goes, oh my God, the battery has dropped by like 2% in the last minute, and then it just shuts down. And you just get the spinny wheel, the Apple logo comes up, and you're away, and nothing will turn it back on except for a USB lead up its bottom. Plugging it back in, yeah. Huh. Yeah, really, really I'll let you know after Monday. Yeah, do please. Cause replace mine or not. There's no Apple store here, so my only choice is to send it back to Apple themselves, which means posting it to them, waiting a few days, and then posting it back, whether it be the same yeah. phone or, or a, um, a replacement, and I'm happy with either. But the thing is, when I... when in my life am I happy to be without a phone for a week? 
Yeah, I saw a report. It's just I saw a report on Reddit where somebody claimed they went into an Apple store. They were in the serial number range. The guy plugged it into their little testy machine and said, you've had no battery problems and sent him on his merry way. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, haven't, I, I guess I'll decide over the Christmas holidays what I'm going to do. I guess I could probably be without my phone over Christmas. We shall see. Uh, so that one's not particularly controversial because Apple will do it for free. The second one is <laughs> much more controversial because Apple will not do it for free. So this problem has, has got a nickname. It's called Touch Disease. And it affects the iPhone 6 Plus. And it appears to be related to Bendigate in the sense that if you flex the phone then a certain bit of the motherboard sort of desolders, and then you have this effect where you have a grey thingy on the top of your screen and touching doesn't work, hence the name touch disease. Yeah, and, the, the IC controller, the, I, I, that's redundant, right? IC controller, the integrated controller? The integrated chip. controller controller. <laughs> yeah, the, the IC chip comes desoldered, apparently, that controls the touch sensor parts apple's theory on this is that this kind of thing happens through abuse which means that they'd consider it to be your fault but they will offer you a cheap replacement because it seems to be happening a lot so they'll do it for you for 150 dollars uh there have been a lot of people saying but if it's happening on this model and not on other models then surely that means it's a design flaw and my personal opinion is i'm in two minds about that because Every device has a weakest point. That doesn't mean that it has a design flaw if that weakest point is different to another device's weakest point. If the iPhone 6S or 6 Plus, its weakest point might be that chip. That does not mean that that chip will break under normal use. Maybe it is its weakest point, but maybe it only breaks if you're abusive to it. So mm. I can see it both ways. I, I don't know because I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not a structural engineer. I can't tell the difference between this is just a weak point versus this is a flaw and Apple have actually got a broken product. The only the only issue I have with this is the original source of the touch disease and nickname, I believe, was a single repair shop. Yep. And they mentioned having hundreds of these coming in a month, which is why they posted about it originally. And I just find it hard to believe. I know people drop their devices because Apple is saying this is from repeated like hard drops of the device that causes this problem but if one the shop is getting does hundreds, not seem to lie yeah a month okay but if that were true around the world there should be millions upon millions of these things and that doesn't seem to be true either so i'm not sure yeah. how, how much stock i can put in that one anecdote if you get what i mean huh. i don't i again i don't know how widespread the problem is i haven't talked to any many repair shops but that yeah that was my postulation as well I don't know how many people have had this issue. I don't know anyone personally who has the issue, but that's not at, really at a the, good sample size. At, at the end of the day, though, too, the other thing that I have, the other problem I have with this is that this is another one of these changes that we've seen slowly happen at Apple, where I think in the past, this would have just been something that they handled just out of good, you know, regardless of whose mm. fault it is, right? Yes. You're, you, again, you're not talking about, so let's, assume your point you're not talking about a massive number of devices but you're talking about a lot of people having the exact same issue and it does seem to point to some sort of soldering problem or weakness in the design of the, the design of the device yeah maybe it's a different weak point than any other device and every device does have a weak point but this sort of falls in line too with the design weakness that was in my 2011 macbook pro which they did handle and take care of 
where it would overheat and the solder joints mm. would pop and the video chip would come off and they would fix it. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, and it's all so about Apple's... normal use, right? So you're, those those video chips would desolder themselves in normal use. So that's why uh, and obviously... normal use to me on a phone is that it's going to get dropped. Well, there's dropping and there's dropping, right? Because, well, yeah, my phone takes a good bounce too, but it doesn't take big bounces. I don't know. <laughs> right, you know, but again, I, I think Apple could have taken the high ground here and just repaired these things or replaced these things and we wouldn't be talking about it now. And it seems like the Apple of old probably would have just done that because it's just the right thing to do. Also, this... it can't have cost them much money to do that. And right. it would have saved them an awful lot of moaning and cantankerousness. Yeah, like why not just delight your customers and you know have them be happy? And but now you're going to go in and they're going to go, well, I dropped it twice, and now you want me to pay 150 bucks? Yeah. I don't know. I think we have to be careful about romanticizing the Apple of old. There were a lot of people upset when Steve Jobs said you're holding it wrong and gave people bumpers. I mean, you know, <laughs> they, they, these things have been going on right. for a long time. Yeah, but That's he fair. still gave them bumpers, Robert. And right. I mean, the, the, that whole antenna gate thing was a giant big pile of nothing technologically. It was just a non-issue. Every phone, if you covered its antennae, would lose signal. You could do it to just about any device you found, a Motorola, whatever. And Apple's first attempt at the problem was to say, look, it happens on all these other phones too, which was perfectly, you know, logically sound. But when everyone cried, Steve just went, oh, fine, have a bumper. Yeah, all yeah, that's the, true, but I mean, you know, it's, it, being frustrated with how Apple chooses to handle things is not anything that's new. Yeah, again, and there's just weird things again with this one because, again, the repair shop that uh, discovered this problem discovered they could kind of prevent the phones from returning with the same problem if they put a little support structure behind where the IC chip was. And the iPhone 5S design did have a support structure that was, for some reason, taken away in the in the 6, in the six Plus. So the, six, the 5S Plus, 5S? Was there a 5S Plus? No, it's not ringing. No, the 6, the six, plus, plus, the, no. the six Plus was the first big phone. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's the 6S. S the one that's having the problem that the, is the, the, one of the one of the comparable devices has a support structure that is not there in this phone, which I think is the six S plus has plus, the structure. Yeah, yeah. So again, that would be more damning evidence that would say hey, maybe they discovered a design flaw. Well, I, I think I bend gate right. People could bend those phones by sitting on them, you know, by being a little overweight or whatever, and. That wasn't, you know, when Consumer Reports tested the devices, they were like, well, yes, it will bend, but no, it doesn't bend at an unreasonable level of force. Right. But Apple did, nonetheless, to save themselves embarrassment, strengthen the 6S Plus so it bends less easily, which would have a side effect of having this chip come under less stress because the whole phone... Well, so again, and I would imagine, I don't know how forces are on a drop, but I could probably argue that when you drop it, it probably flexes a bit. Well, unless you're very symmetrical. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, again, phones are going to be dropped. And I would, that just feels to me like Apple could have taken the high road here and they chose not to. Yeah, I won't argue with that. For whatever reason. Uh, the final repair program then is for people with 27-inch iMacs uh, manufactured in a certain range. And I fall into this category too. But thankfully, my hinge is still working. So I'm going to not bother my backside sending away my Mac as well. Uh, and I also don't think they would repair it if the hinge wasn't broken. So 27-inch iMacs, 
some of their hinges stop having enough resistance, which means that they basically okay. nod forward all the time. So you put the screen where you want, and they just keep falling forward. So if that's happening to your 27-inch iMac, check your serial number. Apple know about the problem, and they will replace it for you for free. If you have had it repaired, they will also refund you for that repair. I saw a great um, <laughs> life hacker sort of hack picture of someone who had this problem where they had... Uh, basically rubber banded on a one of those giant binder clips <laughs> to their to their iMac to keep it at the right angle so they kind of wedged it up between the the stand and the and the display oh, the yeah. binder clip i guess that works <laughs> okay so that's the end of the big stories i have a few little quick things to throw in before we wrap up the show um for those of you who care, which I count myself as one of them, uh, iOS 10.2 beta has brought back star ratings in the music app. Um, it's only the beta. Hopefully hey. it makes its way to the real app. And exactly, yay. Uh, Apple TV apps can now be purchased on iOS or macOS or Windows. Basically, developers can now give out a link so you don't have to be on an Apple TV to buy an Apple TV app. So it should become a lot easier to direct people to your Apple TV apps. I need to double check this. Uh, can we jump back to the star thing real quick? I need to double sure. check this, but I think this was the case when I opened my things. I believe star ratings were the data was still always there. Yes, if I'm not mistaken. So Correct. I believe that once this comes back, any star ratings that you had previously on your stuff will also come back. Yes, the metadata has yeah. not been stripped out of the files because it's it's sort of in the ID three tag if it's an MP three right. or whatever cool. the equivalent of ID three is inside uh, a, a, a not AAC AA. Right. Whatever Apple call their files. Sure. Yep. Okay. Cool. Just wanted to point that out. Yeah. Um, also, Microsoft are bringing Visual Studio, which is their development environment, to the Mac, and they have released a preview version of the Mac version of their development studio. This is, again, more of Satya Nadella being quite again, a different yay. person to uh, his predecessor. Uh, Adam, you probably find this a big deal because you know, you're a professional developer. Well, it's cool because I had I worked in you know at a company where I worked in Visual Studio for five years on a PC and I had always wished that there was a Mac version. So there we go. <laughs> uh, we should also say Apple Pay is coming to Spain and probably of more interest is that the good people at iMore spent a long time compiling a list of old banks everywhere that support Apple Pay. So that link is in the show notes. And then finally, just a timely reminder that Apple do this really nice thing over the holiday season where they change their returns policy. So instead of it being just a flat 14 days, it now actually extends into January for stuff bought in December. So if someone gifts you something truly awful with an Apple logo, you can actually do a holiday return, not just within the 14-day window. So details are in the iMore story linked in the show notes. Hopefully no one needs to return any gifts, but if you do... Be aware that Apple make it a little bit easier than they necessarily should or necessarily have what, to. What product has an Apple logo that's truly awful? <laughs> Apple Music. Sorry. <laughs> I love Apple Music. I know, sorry. I'm iPod just throwing just... iPod socks. That's, I'm, I'm sticking to that. iPod uh, socks. But can I just loop back to the Apple Pay? Piece? Yes, you can. Um, as we know, Apple Pay on your phone, mm -hmm. uh, when you touch the uh, machine in the UK, uh, like a lot of the cards, you can pay for your goods. Now, there has been a restriction, and there still is a restriction on those cards in the UK, mm -hmm. of £30. Yes. I was in I was in the garage 
the other day, and I did not know this, and if everybody else is shouting at me, yes, we already knew this, but I didn't. Um, I said to her, the girl behind the counter, why on earth do they bring up the option to pay by touchscreen if there is a restriction on the amount that you can spend? And I've gone over that restriction. And she looked at me and she said, but you can use Apple Pay. (laughs) And I looked at her and thought, I'm going to try that next time I'm in here. Um, so for some reason, and she said, and she knew exactly why she said, because of the restriction and the way Apple pay works, you can use Apple pay on more than 30 pounds. So I'm going to be trying that next time. And, uh, if anybody else wants to try that and report back, well, I'm sure we'd be pleased to hear your emails. Well, logically speaking, it should work, right? Because yes, yes. Apple is doing the whole Apple pay is actually more secure than an ordinary credit card. So if anything, sure the limit should be higher than any sort of other credit transaction you could do. Whereas touch-to-pay on a card is the least secure possible anything Agreed. could be. Any idiot Agreed. can take your wallet and go blip, 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 and just take your money. So so I'm going to give that a go and see whether it works at yes. uh, my next door where I'm going to be spending more than £30. Well, do let us know. I'll be curious to hear. Okay, guys, thank you. That was quite a long show, but we, we had some beefy topics, and of course, when there's five opinions to fit in, it takes that a little bit longer. So uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm not in any way annoyed that it's a slightly longer show because it was great fun. Um, let's introduce. I don't remember what order I went in, but I'm going to try go backwards. I'll probably get this wrong. Um, Robert, do you want to tell people where they can hear more of your stuff? Sure. The uh, podcast is called The Tech Doctor, and it's at dr carter.com and i'm robert underscore carter on twitter so that's where i'm at thank you very much gaz uh you can find me weekly uh podcasting with guy which we recorded earlier over at the my mac podcast uh, and the my mac network now and uh we basically take a fun look at apple news and just talk about well stuff really and generally have a great time we enjoy ourselves yes uh, Victor, do you want to give us the elevator pitch for your lovely new podcast before we wrap up the show? Sure. Three nerdthings.com. Gilligamont and I, Kelly and I get together and we talk about three subjects, 10 minutes each. It's on a timer because we can go on and we cover anything from what were our fa- favorite childhood cartoons to Westworld to Mac stuff. So it's completely a technolo- technology lifestyle show. Go check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's quick. Half hour, 33 minutes. We're done. Weekly. Excellent. Well, I, 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 before the show, I already subscribed, so I look forward to catching up. And you said there's three episodes in the feed already? There are three in the feed already. The first one was kind of a test one, but still, listen, it was fun. Excellent. Well, thank you, Victor. And uh, last but by no means least, Adam, would you like to tell the listeners, that, that those two of them somewhere who've never heard of you before, where <laughs> they can find out more about what you do? Yeah, you can find me, as you have been able to for the past 12 years, over at MacCast.com. Also, MacCast on iTunes if you want to check out the show. And then I also, every week, do a show called The iOS Show with Michael Johnston and Jeff Gamut at TheIOSShow.com. And then if social media and all that stuff, you'll find me just MacCast pretty much every place. Cool. So if podcasting years are like dog years, like you've been at this for quite some time then. You'd have to put me down, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not do that. That would be a terrible <laughs> loss to the podcasting community. 
can I can I say then, Bart? Actually, do you realise you've been doing this particular show for over three years now? I know that's kind of weird. It's a monthly show, and I'm at episode thirty nine. That means thirty nine months. Nice. Yeah, it's a uh, big four zero next month. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> um. Okay, before I wrap up the show, just to say that there will be detailed show notes at lets-talk.ie. So basically, all of the links to all of the stories that has informed our discussion will be there laid out in the same structure as the show we you just heard. While you happen to be there enjoying the show notes, uh, you will also find three large blue buttons under a banner called Support the Show. Well, it does exactly what it says in the tin. There is three separate ways where you can financially support the show. Uh, the one that works the most efficiently, without a shadow of a doubt, is Patreon. And I always want to give a special mention to our patrons on Patreon because it is genuinely true that if you guys weren't supporting the show, it wouldn't exist. So I have monthly bills. You guys give monthly contributions. I put one into the other. And although they don't, they don't quite balance each other out, I'm still not quite breaking even on this show. That's fine because I do it for fun and I don't mind it not being exactly even. But... You know, without you guys, I just couldn't do it. So you guys really are vital to the show's existence. So I thank you all very much. There's you're also welcome. Play. Oh, you actually, you are one of my patrons, Adam. Thank you. I am. I think Gaz might be too, actually. So I think I have a lot of people to thank here. Um, there's a plain old PayPal button that is very inefficient for, like, giving 50 cent. Because basically PayPal will take 47 cent and you'll still be out 50 cent and I get almost nothing. But it's really efficient for, like, a one-off here you go, Bart, have 10 books kind of thing. Um, so that's why that's still there, even though Patreon is so much better. And then finally, there's a Zazzle store where you can buy branded merchandise. Uh, basically, you become a walking advertisement for the show. You have some physical stuff, and I get a small kickback from Zazzle, a commission, basically, uh, on the product. And, of course, you can tell your friends about the show. You can review us on iTunes or any other podcasty place. And all of that is greatly appreciated. With all that said, I've been your host, Bart Bouchots. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Everybody, please stand by to stand by. And, uh, well, we'll be right back. And welcome, everyone, back to the MyMac.com podcast. All right, so so, so let's um, let's carry on. But I'm still laughing about something that happened just before we started recording, and we're going to talk about that right now. I don't know if you, you heard, Guy, but Sal, <laughs> Sal's still going. Did you know that? Yeah, I heard that. He's leaving Apple. It's a tragedy for everybody. (laughs) Oh dear, this is not going well, is it? We are so childish. We We are. are. It's the G Men on the MyMac.com podcast.